Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Good morning, I'm Rusty Halverson filling in for Mike Adams this week. He'll be back on Monday. Good show coming up today. To start things off, we visit with Kerry Martin. He's a farm broadcaster at the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture Radio Network. How's your week going so far, Kerry? It's been great. I tell you what, Rusty, we've got the cold weather moving in. Yeah. It's getting down into the 50s at night. We're freezing <laughs> our tails off down here, man. Oh, my gosh, my gosh. Anyway... It's all perspective. Just put on another layer. Yes, it you, is. You'll, I you'll, know how cold it is where you are, buddy. Yeah, yeah you bet, you bet. Now, uh, uh, farmers, uh, listeners in your area, probably much like other regions of the country, uh, trying to pick away and uh, clean up some of the harvest. How's the cotton harvest coming around uh, in your area, Gary? Cotton harvest is wrapping up. That's one of the last row crops that we have to get out of the field, of course, being in the climate and the part of the country that we're in, we get our corn harvest done very early. We actually start at the end of July, wrap it up by the end of August, so mm-hmm. corn is done. Okay. Soybeans are wrapping up now. We're about finished with our soybean harvest. Our cotton harvest is about 80% done. And uh, overall, cotton producers have had a pretty good year down here. Uh, the reports that I've heard from out in the field uh, say that uh, it's been a pretty good crop. Okay. Now, uh, another uh, little note that I noted in the uh, in the weekly crop report from uh, Louisiana, the sweet potato harvest now stands at about 70% done in the countryside. Coming along okay? Sweet, sweet potatoes uh, are a big crop for us here in Louisiana. In fact, uh, you know, these these statistics change from year to year, but usually we are the number two sweet potato-producing country in the nation behind North Carolina. Okay. So, yeah, great sweet potato harvest this year. We've gotten very good reports from out in the field. You know, we've had a, a tough year weather-wise, just like farmers all over the country have dealt with all this excess moisture. Yeah. Well, all of that moisture that we've gotten through the Midwest, it all ends up down here in Louisiana. It yeah. comes down that river. Yeah. And in addition to a swollen river, we've had a lot of rain. So it's been a challenging year. But overall, uh, producers are very happy. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I was talking uh, this week with Mike Steenhook of the Soy Transportation Coalition, and uh, there's a lot of concern out there about river levels, not only as we enter into this winter season, but next spring, too, because the saturated soils in the north, like you said, that water heads down your way. So there's some concerns on the horizon. We set records this year for Mississippi River levels. The Mississippi River was at flood stage for more days in 2019 than has ever been recorded in history. Hmm. Uh, and it's a miracle that we didn't have more problems than we did. It, uh, you get a lot of seep water, which is that water seeping underneath the levee mm-hmm. coming out on the other side. Uh, we had uh, gosh, uh, over 100,000 acres 
that were not planted this spring because of seepwater just flooded those fields out. So it definitely presented its challenges. Um, I did a story this week about the sugarcane harvest here in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and sugarcane farmers are dealing with a much shorter crop. The crop just didn't grow as tall as it usually does. And the farmer I was talking to said, you know, I think that those roots just sat in water so long this year that the cane just didn't grow. And he farmed right along the river, Mm -hmm. and, of course, his soil was waterlogged. So it presented a definite set of challenges. Yeah, boy, I guess, I guess. Now, I was looking at at the website, and uh, recently, All Things Rice celebrated at the International Rice Festival at the rice capital of the world. A big to-do down there lately, Carrie. Absolutely. Crowley, Louisiana is the rice capital of the world. And uh, we celebrate that every year with the International Rice Festival. Uh, We have the premier research facility for rice in Crowley, Louisiana, the LSU Ag Center's Rice Research Station. It is internationally known. Some of the most groundbreaking breakthroughs have come through in the rice industry through that research station. Uh, southwest Louisiana, and that area is a very big rice-producing area, and uh, it is something that we definitely are proud of here in Louisiana. We grow about 450,000 acres of rice in our state. Mm. And and when you mentioned the LSU Ag Center, I saw that they do a series of uh, Farm Bill educational workshops, kind of a tour, uh, getting started here in the fall and going throughout the winter. Would that be correct? Absolutely. Seven stops throughout the state. Uh, to bring farmers and ranchers information about this new 2018 Farm Bill and how it's going to affect them. Uh, They've had uh, several of those this week, have been very well attended and very well received, and it's some great information out there for farmers uh, to get the information they need on sign-up for ARC, PLC, and all the other factors that affect them in this new Farm Bill. Yeah, and also it's that time of year, uh, the State Fair in Louisiana just uh, just getting kicked off here. Are you going to partake in any festivity, uh, festivities at the fair, do you think, Kerry? Well, the State Fair happens in uh, near my hometown, Shreveport, Louisiana. All right. As a youngster, I showed a lot of livestock at the State Fair of Louisiana, and uh, uh, my family is very involved in that fair. In fact, my dad is... Uh, one of the, the big buyers at the Junior Livestock Show uh, and sale every year. So we're very involved in that. My yeah. family came up through that program. Uh, we still support it today. Uh, it's just a very, very important uh, activity for our young people to get involved and stay involved in agriculture and to educate them and the public on the importance of agriculture here in Louisiana. Yeah, and you've got a long history with that fair. You were the Louisiana State Champion 4-H Livestock Judge way back in the day. I was. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 1987, baby. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Going back away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, we're we're almost out of time for today, Carrie, but we will see each other again uh, in not too, not too far down the road in Kansas City, I hope, at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Are you planning on attending this year, Carrie? Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. It's a, it's a highlight of my year to get together with you and Sabrina and uh, other farm broadcasters from around the country. I look forward to it every year, getting together and doing a lot of great professional development that we do, mm-hmm. uh, getting to see each other again. It's a 
great group of people and a great professional organization. Yeah, and you've been involved in the organ, uh, organization, too. You've been on several committees, served as South Region Vice President, too, if I'm not mistaken. I'll be running for South Region Vice oh, President. Oh, you're running. In a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got, I got involved in the organization back in 1992. Okay. When I first became a farm broadcaster, so uh, it's been a very important part of my life. Well, I got a little bit ahead of myself, but I wish you the best of luck in that election, Kerry. How's that sound? <laughs> that sounds good. I, so far, I'm running unopposed, so I think my chances are pretty good, but you never know. <laughs> well, we'll get the word out for you nonetheless, Kerry. That is our visit with Kerry Martin. Thank you very much on this Friday, Kerry, for your time, and we do look forward to seeing you in Kansas City. Good show coming up today. Again, this is Rusty Halverson filling in for Mike Adams. A little bit later on in the show, Mike's going to visit. We've got a segment with Chad Christensen, Senex Premium Diesel Expert at CHS. They're going to talk about the harvest challenges this year and some of the fuel challenges, too, in these very, very difficult conditions. Up next on the show, I'm going to visit with an attorney from the Pacific Legal Foundation. There is another to-do, so to speak, in California. A farmer wants to plant wheat. The government says no. We're going to talk about that coming up next. I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in for Mike Adams here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second, in time, on the first, double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Good morning, everybody. Rusty Halverson filling in this week for Mike Adams. He'll be back on Monday. Visiting now with Tony Francois. He's senior attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation. And Tony, thank you for your time and uh, welcome to the program. How's everything going? Uh, very well. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're going to talk about uh, an issue that's going on. Uh, we're seeing it uh, again. We've seen it a little bit before, but a little bit before. The EPA is uh, using some bullying tactics when it comes to agriculture, once again, in the state of California. Uh, can you tell us what's going on with California farmer Jack LaPlante? Uh, sure. So uh, we represent Jack. Uh, he is a uh, Northern California farmer uh, who's being sued, um, uh, actually in this case by the Army rather than the EPA, but they both uh, administer this federal law called the Clean Water Act. And the the lawsuit against Jack being brought by the Army is that uh, when he planted a wheat crop on his property in 2011, uh, 
according to the Army, he was supposed to have gotten what's called a dredge and fill permit from them before he plowed the property. And, uh, you know, we take the position that, uh, you know, there's no legal requirement for him to have done that, but the, uh, you know, the, the effect of this on Jack is pretty significant. He, he did the, he planted the wheat crop in 2011. So since, uh, 2012, he has been living with years of investigation and then lawsuits mm-hmm. by the federal government against him yeah. uh, for supposedly polluting his own farm by plowing it. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, these dredge and fill permits, why in the world do they think that it would pl- uh, apply to an agricultural practice such as plowing a field? And uh, what was he going to plant on that land? <laughs> Wheat. Um, nothing, nothing more common than that. Yeah. Well, that, that is a very good question. And, um, so there's two answers to it. Okay. The first is that the Clean Water Act, uh, technically defines soil or dirt as a pollutant in, for example, the sense where if you were to, uh, start dumping truckloads of, uh, of fill into the Mississippi River in order to build a, you know, a jetty or something like yeah. that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, reasonable people would say, yeah, you should probably get somebody's permission before you do that. Yeah. But, you know, so it's the typical bureaucratic uh, mission creep to, to start thinking, well, okay, so dirt is a pollutant. Farms are made of dirt. So when the farmer moves the dirt around, he must be polluting something. Yeah. So that's, you know, an obvious, you know, uh, obviously unreasonable approach to this. But what's more alarming about this case is that uh, in the Clean Water Act itself, the Congress has said farming doesn't require these permits. It's not it's not regulated by the Clean Water Act, and so the Act says that normal farming activities are are excluded from this. Mm-hmm. So, why isn't Jack plowing uh, his property and planting a wheat crop a normal farming activity? Well, the answer to that, uh, amazingly is that the, the Army has added a series of uh, limitations to, to that provision in the law. So it's basically only a normal farming practice if they think it is. And their current opinion of that is that if you haven't plowed the property in a number of years, then you need their permission to do any farming on it. Hmm. And since this property had been grazed for a number of years, uh, since the last time it was plowed, their view is... He needed our permission before he uh, plowed it again. This is a significant, uh, should be a consi- significant concern, for example, to anybody who participates in, in programs like the Conservation Reserve Program. Oh, absolutely. Where you actually get conservation benefits uh, for resting your property over a period of years. I'm not sure many farmers are aware that at least the way the, uh, the Army is uh, putting it in this case, um, if they want to... Um, if they want to end those uh, conservation reserve contracts and resume farming, they're going to wind up needing a, an army permit to do that. And the the kicker on that is that this is not just like some go down to the county office and get an over-the-counter permit. Mm-hmm. I mean, this permit takes a couple of years and a couple of hundred thousand dollars in consulting expertise yeah. just to get the permit. Yep. Uh, as I've said a number of times, you know, the nation that requires its farmers to wait two years for permission from the Army to grow food is not going to eat well. Yeah. So Congress made the right call in saying this is not regulated by the Army. The yeah. Army, we think, is doing the wrong thing 
by enforcing against farmers like Jack, and we're uh, we are standing up for Jack to defend him. Yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, don't want to point fingers, but sometimes uh, California uh, sets the stage for uh, issues such as this, and and uh, uh, some of our 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 audience will probably be familiar with another uh, neighbor of Jack, actually, John Duarte. He had to pay over a million dollars to settle similar charges with the EPA, but now it's the Army that's pulling the strings on this. Yeah, and I think that uh, we, we represented John and his company in that fight, and, um, you know, I think the, uh, the thing that um, you know, your listeners should be aware of is that these are not simple cases to resolve, uh, and the government's view of what you should have to pay uh, in penalties is, is remarkable. I do mention... Garden Nursery had to pay more than a million dollars just to settle. Yeah, that's just um, a settle. The claims against it. Yeah. So this is a pretty big, uh, you know, high stakes stuff. And you know, it's the, the these cases in California are brought by a federal agency. So, uh, so I think it, it, it's probably wise to think of this as something that could happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. This is not a California state agency doing this. Yeah. 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 And now, do you think? Uh, uh, one thing that uh, in some of the material I was reviewing for a visit today, could the administration, uh, could the White House live up to uh, what it likes to call its reputation for regulatory reform by not suing farmers for millions of dollars from plowing their farms? Do we have any allies in the White House? Uh, well, we do, we do think it would be wise for uh, for the administration to uh, to review the way its agencies interpret the law and the way they, uh, you know, for example, in, in this type of case, the way they narrow the, you know, the, the protections that are provided by for farming in the Clean Water Act. President Trump actually ordered, uh, he signed a couple of executive orders a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ceremony at the White House featured a couple of our clients uh, who's, who've had bad experiences with Clean Water Act enforcement. So I, I think there's... Um, you know, room for optimism there. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, these cases get filed, and then they have a life of their own, and, and so the cases need to be defended. But, you know, as a policy matter, we think the Trump administration is moving in the right direction and uh, requiring agencies to conform to, to the laws that Congress passes so they're making up their own rules. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's it's a, a case of mission creep. I mean, we're going beyond the intentions of the Clean Water Act. We all want clean water, but the EPA should stick to preventing actual water pollution rather than, you know, picking on a farmer in California that just wanted to grow some wheat. Absolutely. Good grief, good grief. So where do we go uh, from here now, Tony? What's What's the next step in the process? Well, uh, we will be uh, filing uh, some uh, some briefs in court in the coming months uh, to lay out Jack's case. Uh, we'll hope for a favorable decision from the trial court judge uh, in the coming months. Uh, but if necessary, uh, Jack is prepared and uh, we're prepared as his attorneys to litigate this all the way to Supreme Court mm-hmm. to establish that where Congress says, farming doesn't require these permits, that the law means that and that the agencies have to respect that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, we're almost out of, uh, out of time, Tony, but I appreciate your time today and 
Thanks for uh, for trying to dive into this very, very complex issue, and uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to go away anytime soon. We We wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for having me today. Okay, thank you very much. Again, that is Tony Francois, Senior Attorney for the Pacific Legal Foundation. And they work on behalf of farmers when it comes to defending liberty and justice for all. Coming up next on the show, we're going to be talking about African swine fever, that virus which kills most pigs in a couple of weeks. It is not known to harm humans has slashed China's swine herd. Mike recently talked with Christine McCracken, Senior Animal Protein Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. And according to Rabo AgriFinance, again, that disease slashing China's swine herd by more than half. Some producers overseas exiting the industry, others reluctant to restock due to the ongoing disease risk. Again, we'll have an update coming up straight ahead. I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in for Mike Adams this week on AOA. We'll be back. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Good morning, I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in for Mike Adams this week. The Chinese Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs released guidelines last month for the restocking of African swine fever-affected farms in China. According to USDA, local authorities also being instructed to ease up on environmental regulations that limit where farms can be built. That's a reversal of policy over the last four years that has made building new hog farms difficult or impossible. The ASF virus has cut China's swine herd by about half since it was first reported in August last year. That according to Rabobank. Mike talked with Christine McCracken, Senior Analyst Protein Analyst at Rabobank. What do we know about the the latest outbreaks? Uh, Is it still showing up in more countries all the time? It is. Um, you know, um, we get more and more cases, I'd say, in a lot of the countries that are impacted already. We continue to see it uh, break in parts of China, despite uh, recent reports to the, the contrary. We uh, have seen it go now into South Korea, uh, from North Korea, where it's believed to be spreading quite rapidly. Vietnam continues to see uh, outbreaks and has lost over half of its herd. Um, the Philippines, unfortunately, recently was hit and, and has lost 
uh, quite a bit, and it continues to move into new parts of the Philippines, which is quite difficult to do given the geography. But, um, you know, it, it is moving, unfortunately, throughout most of Asia and, and even in Europe, uh, where we continue to see outbreaks in parts of uh, Eastern Europe, um, particularly in Hungary most recently. So uh, not, not solved by any means and, and is, continues to be a problem. We know there's not a vaccine for it. So what are the methods being used to try to stop it? Well, really, the only thing you can do is, is obviously uh, eliminate the, the affected animals. So whether it's wild boars where they're doing some controlled hunts uh, to, to uh, try to control it in the wild boar population like in Europe um, or in Asia where they need to actually just... Uh, obviously stamp it out in, in that herd. Um, you know, ideally you'd like to clean it out of the barns, clean out the barn and let it sit idle. The issue is that uh, rather than, than let these barns uh, sit open, they, they have gone back in. The economic incentives are huge uh, right now, and they're, they're actually adding uh, pigs as fast as they, they can. Now, there aren't a lot of available, um, you know, pigs available, for repopulating uh, these barns. So in, in some cases, there's a natural limiter, but, uh, you know, you really need to let those barns sit idle in order to uh, let the virus uh, get cleaned out, and, and they aren't doing that at this point. Do we know how the virus is spreading? In the country in Europe, it's spreading a lot uh, through the wild boars, like, like I mentioned, Um in, in some cases, like in East Timor, where it was believed to have been brought in um, with with a tourist, with a movement of people. So you can bring uh, the, the virus in with meat. Um, you might have seen Australia just deported a Vietnamese mm-hmm. tourist uh, for bringing meat products in uh, through, through customs. Now, that's not uh, legal, as we all know, but it happens on a daily basis. So that's really where a lot of the effort's been put to try to slow down or stop the movement of, of product through the, the borders, um, you know, being brought in with people that maybe knowingly or unknowingly uh, are bringing through infected product. That's that's part of it. Of, of South Korea, for example, it, it likely was being brought uh, across the border from North Korea uh, just with uh, either a, a wild animal Um uh, a wild boar or, or possibly a, a rodent. Um, it, it's unknown at this point exactly how it gets in, um, but there are a number of vectors that they're trying to, to control. We're talking with Christine McCracken, Senior Animal Protein Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. Christine, that's why uh, all the increased security methods that we have in place now in the United States are so important because of all these different ways it could get in, so you have to do everything you can to try to keep it out. They sure do, you know, and, and you know, our, our associations have been working with Customs uh, and Border Protection to try to tighten up those that, that movement of product, um, try to make people aware um, of exactly how dangerous that is, not just, uh, not to humans, this is, again, ASF has no human health impact, but but to our industry, it would clearly be devastating. So, you know, in as much as we can all be a part of that enforcement effort, I think that that's pretty critical. And then really um, controlling the movement of people on and off the farm. 
um, and and trying to avoid that as much as possible. Obviously, um, there are exceptions, but I think the industry has done a good job um, putting kind of procedures into place to try to to really make people aware of, of how ASF could spread on farm. Again, they've been able to keep uh, you know a lot of diseases out of the U.S. because we have very strong biosecurity. Um, and, and this is no different. Um, we just have to control the things we can't control. So, um, you know, it, it's a group effort. But I think we're doing as much as we can, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we can keep it out of the U.S. What is the situation, as far as you know it, in China? We've heard conflicting numbers about how many animals they've had to kill. Uh, we, we hear now them trying to repopulate. What is the situation in China? Well, no one knows exactly for sure. What I can tell you is that we have, um, we do have operations in China. We have a team in China that works regularly with producers. And what we know uh, is that they continue to break with ASF. Our current estimate on losses um, is about 55% of the herd. Again, that's, that's almost a quarter of the world's pork supply has been lost already just in China. And it continues to move, as I mentioned, into Southeast Asia. And within China, so big losses uh, for the global protein industry. And, and again, um, you know, it's hard to estimate. Uh, the numbers in China have never been very good, and the reporting hasn't been very good. Um, I would say that the government itself is looking at about a 41% drop in the number of pigs, um, and that's the Chinese government. Uh, so, you know, I think our estimate is, is closer to the pin, but no one knows for sure. Now, we've heard about them drawing on their reserves. Do we know how much they've done that, and how long can that last? Well, again, these are tough numbers to get. The Chinese don't share uh, a lot of information. But what we what we know is that they've been drawing down those reserves um, and restocking them on a pretty regular basis. I think a lot of us were su- surprised just how large those inventories were. Um, again, they did call a lot of animals uh, through the spring uh, that that built some very large inventories. Now, they've had a, a couple of big holidays here this fall, the Mid-Autumn Festival, and, and you may have seen just, uh, I guess now two weeks ago, uh, you know, the big Golden Week celebration, which is a big pork consumption period for them. So they've drawn down those inventories pretty, uh, pretty aggressively, and, and that's why um, not only did they release some reserves um, so that it could keep the pork prices somewhat reasonable, I guess, during those important pork-consuming periods, uh, but they've also drawn down inventories generally just because uh, they essentially went through a lot of that pork product uh, in, during the holidays. So now we're looking at uh, very low inventories and, and just a, a massive escalation in price. Prices went up just 20% in a week. Uh, over in China post-holiday, and now we're building up for the Chinese New Year. So we'll see now uh, what happens with with inventory so low, uh, production obviously depleted. Uh, we should have a very robust uh, export period for U.S. Uh, exporters. That was going to be my next question, depending, of course, on how the trade situation plays out with these trade talks. Uh, what do you see as the opportunity here for U.S. producers? I mean, can they... F- can they turn somewhere else? You know, with soybeans, they turn to Brazil. Uh, can they uh, can they turn and find enough pork uh, in other markets, or will they have to come to the U.S., you think? 
Now, you know, they've been coming to the U.S. They've been importing a, a pretty massive amount. Exports to China are up almost 500% year-on-year, and now that's on a smaller base. But still, we've been shipping quite a bit of pork already. The question is, can we export more? And I think the answer is, is clearly yes. It's, it's a huge, huge deficit that can't be made up by any of, of the combined countries. Just to put it in perspective, um, you know, you're looking at almost a 25 million metric ton deficit of pork. And global pork traded on, on an annual basis is really only about eight to all countries. That is Mike's visit with Christine McCracken, Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Rabo AgriFinance. Some of the numbers she's talking about, very startling. Over half of China's pig population being wiped out by African swine fever. Now, according to statistics, about half of China's 26 million pig producers raise fewer than 500 hogs each Many producers exiting the industry, according to USDA, reporting earlier this month. Others reluctant in China to restock due to the ongoing disease risk. And again, according to reports earlier this month, local authorities in China instructing producers or being instructed to ease up on environmental regulations that limit where farms can be built as they try and rebuild the swine herd in that country. Again, I'm Rusty Halverson filling in for Mike Adams this week on AOA. Up next, Mike talked with Chad Christensen, Senex Premium Diesel expert at CHS, about some of the harvest challenges this year. We'll talk about that coming up next. I'm Rusty Halverson filling in for Mike here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Good morning once again, everybody. I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in for Mike Adams this week. He'll be back on Monday. Mike talked with Chad Christensen, Senex Premium Diesel expert at CHS, about the harvest challenges this year and also fuel challenges. What does it mean for equipment owners uh, trying to get through this late harvest, dealing with uh, the, the, the winter-like conditions that many are dealing with already in this harvest? Yeah, a, a late harvest means long hours, and not only for producers, uh, but their equipment all, uh, but they're also. And with this added stress on machinery, running a typical number two diesel just won't cut it. And, and they need a diesel that works as hard as they do. Uh, by running Cenex uh, Roadmaster and XL and, and Ruby Fieldmaster, you'll be getting a more complete burn, which decreases costly downtime in this compressed harvest season. You know, farmers probably 
thinking about a lot of things right now, trying to get through this harvest, and equipment maintenance is a big part of that. Uh, perhaps they might overlook or not realize or think about the importance of the fuel that they're using. Uh, kind of explain how a, a subpar fuel could be harmful to their equipment. Well, today's diesel engines use high-pressure common rail direct injection technology, uh, meaning the high temperature and pressures these engines operate at can literally cook a regular number two diesel. This time of year, producers don't have time to deal with issues like fouling injectors, um, power loss, and, and filter plugging. A, a number two diesel can cause. Ruby Fieldmaster and Cenex Roadmaster XL addresses issues in the fuel storage tank to the exhaust system and really everything it touches in between. Yeah, so a high quality fuel, especially this time of year, is critically important then, right, Chad? Yeah, exactly. Uh, this time of year, farmers need to be in the field and not broke down in the shop or making costly repairs. And, and really, by being proactive and running Synex premium diesel fuels all year round, your equipment's fuel system is fighting water and, and protecting against corrosion and will be running at peak performance during this late harvest season. Yeah, that's a good point. When we're talking about some of the, the weather conditions that farmers are harvesting in this year, that's really important. Absolutely, absolutely. They need to make sure they are uh, protected during that cold cold winter season and, and using a seasonally enhanced product or a winter master product uh, later in the season will be really beneficial down the road. So with all that's happening this harvest season and the, the delays and the issues, uh, a, a premium fuel can really make a difference, uh, a significant difference in getting through this. Absolutely, Mike. And at Cenex, we've had over 50 years of experience with premium diesel fuel, and we've got the industry's most complete additive package to address the continual changes with diesel engine technology. And Cenex premium diesel fuels are built with a higher cetane that will provide quicker starts, and we've got increased lubricity, uh, which results in less wear and tear on your engine, and aggressive detergents that clean injector tips providing a better spray pattern. And the best part, it's all injected at the right at the terminal, so there's no need for those messy bottles. Chad, let's talk a little bit more about the, the challenges and the, and the stress on engines uh, and equipment when you're harvesting in, in colder conditions. And, and this, this harvest may go well into, into the winter. Uh, what are some of the, the challenges and things they should be watching for and how premium fuel can help alleviate some of those problems? Well, if you're running a product like Cenex Seasonally Enhanced or our Winter Master product, um, we've, got, we've got chemistry uh, in our products uh, called Coal Flow Improvers, and, and using those is going to extend the life of your fuel filter. It's going to provide some quicker starts down the road. Uh, and really make you be in good shape here for this cold weather season harvest. What are some things that farmers can do to perhaps uh, take uh, you know action now that would prevent a problem? What should they be watching for uh, to try to avoid some costly downtime? Well, you really want to watch for these temperature drops and be ahead of be ahead of these temperature drops and really notice your uh, number two. Um, cloud point you know we want to make sure we're blending 10 to 15 degrees above that cloud point um, that way we don't have any gel filters uh, or, or or any issues with with stalling uh, starts or anything any downtime that that could avoid you know that we could avoid 
a successful harvest season. Yeah, that's a good point. Preventive measures uh, can make a big difference, right? If you can uh, stop something from happening that could lead to downtime, it's going to really pay off. Absolutely. Anything else, uh, Chad, that uh, we should let the producers know or some tips or things that uh, maybe will make it a a little less stressful harvest season just by uh, better fuel choices? Yeah, I'd I'd like to wish everyone a safe harvest. Uh, If you have more questions, uh, for for those tips, I would I would suggest reaching out to your local Cenex uh, Premium Diesel Premium Diesel Fuel Dealer or visit us at Cenex.com. I think the main thing here is don't take your fuel for granted. With all the things on a producer's mind, time being a big part of it, but uh, watching the weather and uh, concerned about getting those crops out, don't overlook the fuel aspect of a good harvest. Is that right, Chad? Yeah, I would actually absolutely agree with that, Mike. Yeah, and I think that maybe it, it's something maybe we take for granted or, some, you know, we've always done it a certain way, but uh, there there are things that can be done in fuel choices then that can uh, make a big difference and, and help out along the way. And anything that can help this year uh, certainly uh, is uh, greatly appreciated to know. That was Mike's visit with Chad Christensen, Senex Premium Diesel Expert at CHS, about all of the harvest challenges that we've seen across several regions of the country this week. I'd like to thank Mike for letting me host for him this week. He'll be back on Monday. Again, I'm Rusty Halverson, Farm News Director for the American Ag Network. You can find me on Twitter at Rust Halverson. You can follow the AOA Talk Show on Twitter as well, at AOA Talk Show. But it has been a pleasure to... To serve the audience this week, thanks to my show producer, Sabrina Halverson. Thanks to Kirsten Rawl for covering the markets for me. Again, thanks to Mike trusting me with the show. And also some of our guests this week, Carrie Martin, Brian Winnikins, Joe Gill, Spencer Chase. It's been a good one, folks. Rusty Halverson for Mike Adams here on AOA. AOA.